visitors with us today on this Memorial Day uh, weekend. It also looks like we have quite a few who went off to visit elsewhere. So maybe it's kind of a, a switch off and we are certainly glad that you are here. It was just about almost exactly 32 years ago when I was asked to come and try out at the church in Dangerfield to be the youth minister. I was going to school at, uh, at Harding and was fixing to graduate. And so I was told to come and, and uh, spend Saturday with some of the members. And then Sunday, Sunday morning, I was to teach the high school Bible class. And then in the afternoon, I was going to meet with the elders and the committee. And then Sunday evening, I was going to preach. So I uh, came Sunday morning and I still remember I taught from Peter following Jesus after the arrest where it says that Peter followed at a distance. And that's what our Bible class was on that Sunday morning. And then I met with uh, the, uh, the committee and the elders and I know it's been quite a while. Many of you will not even remember Brother Dial Amos. I, uh, I hate that for you. That's your loss if you don't remember Brother Dial. But he was one of our uh, elders at the time. And, and he said, son, how long do you think you're going to do this thing before you become a real preacher? <laughs> I said, well, I, I don't necessarily intend to be a real preacher. Just hush. And he said, good, because don't come here thinking you're going to be the preacher. We have a preacher. We like him. He's not going anywhere. You're not going to be the preacher. So I don't know if Brother Dial is rolling over in his grave. Some of you are thinking, well, I know what some of you are thinking. But then that night, I still remember very vividly the scripture from which I preached uh, that tryout sermon or whatever you want to call it. And it comes from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, where Paul writes, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, this passage is uh, one of favorites, I think, in Christianity. If you're using one of the newer translations, you'll see that that, that section is kind of uh, indented. And many scholars believe that this was perhaps an early Christian hymn or an early Christian poem talking about who Jesus was and what he did for us. And it it certainly encapsulates in many ways the gospel and would be a simple, easy thing to remember if sharing the gospel to somebody. 
But it is more than just a theological question or, or, or statement. It is really about us and what we should do. But it needs to be taken in context. Now Paul, if you remember, and I'm sure you've studied, Paul has a very unique way of subliminally getting his message across in his letters. He'll have a point to make and, and, and instead of just coming right to the point, he'll kind of backdoor it, you know? And the classic example to me is the little one chapter letter of Philemon. You know, he's one Philemon to take Onesimus back and he just starts off with how much Paul has done for, for Philemon and, and, and all these different things. And, and oh, by the way, I'm going to come and visit you, you know. And so we have this letter to the Philippians and it's all about joy. It's all about these different things. But in chapter four, the very beginning of chapter four, Paul addresses a situation within the congregation there at Philippi. There were these two ladies. Yodia, that's the best I can do. And Syntyche, that's what we're going to go with. Okay? And they apparently had some kind of conflict. And Paul comes along and says, you know... Y'all need to get over it, and the rest of you there in the congregation, you need to help them. But that's chapter 4. That's when he addresses it head on. But I can't help but think that chapter 2 has a lot to do with what's going to happen, what he's going to talk about in chapter 4. In other words, he's setting these people up. You remember when David sins with Bathsheba? And the prophet comes to him and tells him that parable about the man who, the rich man who had, you know, flocks and flocks and the poor little neighbor who only had one sheep. And the rich man, you know, took the one sheep and and killed it. And David was incensed by that. And Nathan the prophet says, you are the man. He set him up. Well, in the same way, Paul kind of is setting up these two ladies in chapter 4. Because he's going to talk about humility and the attitude that we ought to have towards each other. And as this letter is being read. Now you got to remember, this is a letter that was read to the congregation. As they're sitting out there, probably one on this side and one on the other side. Because they weren't, you know, having anything to do with each other. While they were sitting there and whoever it was, was reading the letter for the first time. And they come to this section, you know, have this same attitude in you. There was also in Christ Jesus. Both women are probably going, "Mm mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. We ought to have that attitude. We ought to have humility. We ought to have all these different things. And then chapter four, they're called out by name. Oops. Ooh, he was talking about us. How do you know about us? Who tattled? Who told him about what was going on with us? But that is what is going on here. Notice that Paul did not say, know this about Jesus. He said, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. You see, it's not enough to just say, well, isn't that a sweet little passage? Isn't that a beautiful hymn or a beautiful poem talking about Jesus and all that he has done for us? Let's turn it into a song and let's sing it together. That wasn't the purpose of it. The purpose was to put that attitude within ourselves. 
to make Jesus' attitude our own, not just to know something about him. So as we deal with others, we need to display the same attitude that Jesus displayed. And what are they? First of all, we see an attitude of humility. Beginning in chapter, verse 1, Paul defines humility in the same chapter. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Have the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So that is humility defined. That's what it means to be humble. But then we have humility personified. Who, Jesus being in the very nature God, did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. And I like the King James Version, emptied himself, I believe it says. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, did not consider his equality with God as something to be held on to, as something to be grasped. He gave it up to become our sacrifice. He considered our needs over his needs. He considered our interests over his interests. True unity is not about the rights that we share, but about the rights that we are willing to give up for others. That's where true unity comes. We're studying 1 Corinthians in the uh, high school class. And a couple weeks ago, we were over there in that, in that section in chapter 6. Where Paul says, quit suing each other. Quit taking each other to court. Y'all are going to court and it's just, you know, it's just making the church look bad. If you got a problem with one of your brothers, you got a business problem or whatever. Instead of suing out there, find a brother that you trust. And let him arbitrate between you. But don't go dirty in your airy, dirtying your airy laundry. That would be airing your dirty laundry. Or dirtying your airy laundry either. I don't know. But don't dirty your air. I did it again. Don't be doing it out in public. Where everybody can see you because that's just going to look horrible on the church. And then he goes on, in fact, and says, wouldn't it be better just to be wronged? (gasps) In our American culture, that is blasphemy, is it not? We are all about our rights. I have my rights. And you don't tread on my rights. And Paul says, you know, some things just aren't worth it. It'd just be better to be wronged. Didn't Jesus say the same thing? If the man compels you to go a mile, just go two. And remember what that's talking about. The Roman soldiers could compel you, make you carry their pack a mile. Any non-Roman citizen. Here, 
Boy, I'm tired of carrying my pack. You carry my pack a mile. And Jesus said, you know what? Why don't you just go ahead and carry it two miles? And I'm sure to a Jew, that had to be awful sounding. Because I guarantee you, most Jews would be like me. I'm going a mile and not a foot further. Not a foot. I'm taking that pack, I'm putting it down, and I'm walking back my other mile back home. Jesus said, just go to. If a man sues you to take your cloak, give him your tunic too. That is just so against our American way of thinking. Because we were all, the whole reason we exist as a nation, right? Because we didn't get our rights from England and they weren't doing what they ought to do. So then we're going to, you know, declare this and we're going to have a constitution. We're going to have a bill of rights, right? You know, to, so that we'll know what they are. And Paul comes along and said, it'd be just as well if you were wronged. He considered our needs over his I remember, you remember the, the NRA commercial, right? Charlton Heston, you remember? He holds, they can have my gun when they pry it for my dead, cold hands, or my cold, dead hands. Either way, same thing. And what Paul is saying here is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, had the right, had the right to hold on to his place in heaven, to his godness, to his deity, and say, I ain't going. No way. I'm God. I don't have to go down there. But instead, it says that he did not consider his equality with God something to be held on to. Kind of like that kindergarten kid, you know, the first day of school... Maybe grabbing on to mama's leg for everything. Or though, you know, some of you, they just went by and were off. But, you know, then there may be, you know, just hanging on. And what this says is Jesus did not come down here kicking and screaming. He came down here on his own because that's what he needed to do. Now, Jesus did not give up. His deity. He did not give up his goodness. However, he did give up some of the rights and privileges of his deity. We sing that song sometimes. He left the splendor of heaven knowing his destiny. He was confined to a human body. He became hungry. He was tired. He was tempted. And I wonder how many times he felt like the prodigal son in the pigsty while he was down here. Oh, these people give me the creeps. Look at what's going on. And, and I'm hungry and I'm tired and, and all this. And, and oh, what I had in heaven. And, you know, coming down towards the end of his life, at the end of John, in John chapter 17, he's beginning to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And he says, that glory is coming. I'm going back real soon. But while he was here, he lived as a man, as he was God. 
The motive, the attitude, the example again is humility for the sake of others. Norman used to say all the time, just because you have the right to do something doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. Jesus had the right to stay in heaven, but he emptied himself and came to earth. The second attitude we see is an attitude of service. It says, not only did Jesus come to earth, but he taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Notice the extent of Jesus' humility. From God to man is one thing. That's a, that's, what is it, you know, one giant leap for man, you know, that is a giant leap from God to man. But not just as a man. But he came down to live as a servant. Now, I've told you this before. I know I may have even said it 32 years ago. I'm not sure. But if I was Jesus, I could imagine myself saying, okay, if I have to go down there and live as a man, I want to at least be a king. I want to at least be the royalty. I want to at least have servants. I want to at least have the best food. I want to at least have the best palace. I want to have the, you know, the best of everything. I want to go down and be king. And you know what? Would we object to that? I wouldn't. I I would say that's the least we could do for him. But it says, no, he didn't come down to be a king. He came down to be a servant. And you know, in the Greek, there's two words for servant. There's the word diakonos. Uh, and that just simply means a servant. That's the word from which we get deacon. And then there is another word, doulos. Which is the word for slave. And here where it says Jesus came down and was made a servant. It's not servant, servant. It's slave. He became a slave. Now we think to ourselves, or at least I think to myself, really? I mean, I could see he came down to be a servant. But Jesus wasn't a slave. You know, he, he wasn't somebody's personal bond servant or, or personal slave. Yes, he was. He was our slave. He was a slave to our needs. And to what we needed. We see that attitude displayed in the upper room. He had displayed it all along. But the disciples needed a more vivid expression. And he had taught them. Right? The son of man did not come to serve but to be served. I mean did not come to be served but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom to many. He said the greatest among you will be the servant of all. But now. He puts on a towel takes a basin of water and begins to wash their feet. And he says, basically, do you understand what I have done for you? Do do you get it? And at the very beginning of that in John 13, it says, and Jesus was determined to show them the full extent of his love. That always baffles me a little bit. If I were to ask you, Out of the blue, you understand. What one event in Jesus' life and ministry 
demonstrated most the full extent of his love. And almost unanimously, we would say the cross, right? The cross. But it says that Jesus wanted to demonstrate the full extent of his love, so he washed their feet. Because I think he wanted to show them in an even more vivid way the the attitude of service. Yeah, the cross is that ultimately. But they might not get that. You know, sometimes sometimes they weren't too bright. Because they were just like you and me. And they might not quite get that. But when he knelt down and began to wash their feet, they got that. They understood that. And for just a moment, he became their slave. And then on the cross, he became our slave. He took away our sins. And so if Jesus could become a slave for us, if Jesus could serve you and me, shouldn't we be able to serve one another? And have that same attitude. The third attitude we see is an attitude of sacrifice. And you know, this is Memorial Day weekend. Tomorrow is Memorial Day. A time set aside in this country to to honor those men and women who have given the ultimate sacrifice in defense of our country. But we have essentially a Memorial Day every week. We remember what Jesus has done for us. And besides, when we come together collectively and observe the Lord's Supper, every day really ought to be a Memorial Day, right? We've got to remember every day, each one of us, what Jesus has done for us. So he not only became a man, he not only became a servant, but he became obedient to death, even the death on a cross. And we have seen this before, the, the decline, as it were, the dissension. Of Jesus from heaven to man to slave to death and as if death wasn't bad enough death on a cross you see Jesus did not die a hero he did not die as those that we may honor and celebrate tomorrow he died the death of a criminal. He died the absolute worst kind of death that the Romans could come up with. Why? You know, Mr. Guillotine, if you know who he is, he's the dude who invented the guillotine. And his point was, you know, if we're going to kill somebody, let's get it over with quickly. You know, let's do it as quickly and humanely as possible. As if sticking your neck in and having your head roll off, you know, is humane. But, you know, it was better than previous. And his whole point was, let's get it over as quickly as possible. The Romans had the exact opposite idea. Let's make it last as long as we can. Let's make it be so painful. Let's make it just drag out and be so excruciating. And we're going to save that for just the worst of the worst of the criminals. And that 
is the death that Jesus died. He didn't die a martyr's death. He didn't die storming some hill or, or some beach during some, you know, important battle in some war. He died on the outskirts of town. The death of the cross. The Jews had a hard time with the idea of the suffering Messiah. They just couldn't grasp their hands. They couldn't wrap their their minds around it. This idea that the Messiah had to suffer and die. You see, because they still had this concept of the earthly kingdom. Jesus, the Messiah was coming to set up this earthly kingdom. And, you know, we're going to reign and Israel's going to be as great as it was in the days of David and Solomon and, and all of that. And so when Jesus died, the Jews were like, he can't be the Messiah. That can't be it. But Jesus had tried to tell them all along. I've come for this purpose. You remember when Jesus first began to kind of hint to them, I'm going to Jerusalem, and I'm going to die. And you remember what Peter did. Took him aside and rebuked him. Woo. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Peter, you don't understand. I have to die. That's why I came, was to die on the cross to be the sacrifice for sin. It was not in God's plan. It was not in Jesus' purpose to be an earthly king. But he came to give his life as a ransom for many. We see the sacrifice in the garden as he passionately prayed for the cup to pass from him, the cup of death. Yet he said, Father, not my interests, not my will, but yours. Isn't that exactly what Paul said when he defined humility in the verses before? Don't look out for your own interests. Look out for the interests of others. The real sacrifice goes back to the very beginning. The sacrifice of the fellowship that Jesus had with the Father. Coming to earth cost him. Coming to earth was a sacrifice for him. For 33 years, approximately, it was not like it had ever been before. Jesus was willing to sacrifice for us. And not just willing. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. Again, he didn't do it begrudgingly. He did it because he knew he was bringing salvation to us. And that because of what he has done, we could reestablish that relationship which God had intended for mankind going all the way back to the garden. The sacrifice, even of a soldier... Even if a soldier is more than just giving his life. And Jesus' sacrifice was more than just giving his life. We need to look at these verses. 
and have these attitudes of humility and service and sacrifice. And you might think to yourself, or I might think to myself, maybe you don't. You know, Paul is kind of wasting these beautiful verses on such a minor problem. You know, here are these beautiful verses about humility and service and how to get along with each other, all because these two women had a little spat. Wouldn't these verses be more suited in the middle of 1 Corinthians where that church was so dysfunctional and so messed up that they could have really used these verses? But you see, it doesn't matter. It's the same attitudes that are going to help us deal with the little one-on-one problems that are also going to help us deal with the big complex problems. Humility, service, and sacrifice. Paul says you ought to have this attitude that was also in Christ Jesus. If you're here this morning, we help or encourage you as you strive for that attitude in your life. We invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D. C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol dot com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 818- West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas, 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.